He sort of represents the southern side of of our show in terms of that that you know in terms of the four corners, right? I'm sort of in the northeast, and Jaime's the northwest, and Mark's down south in California, and Tammy holds up the the other end of the the other end of the continent, I guess, right? I don't know that I'd call California the south. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But you're on this. You're on the. You're on the left coast anyway, so southern yeah. left coast. Yep. Yep. In this, you know, parallelogram. Well, no, actually, I guess it depends on where Toronto is relative to to your spot in Tennessee, but. I imagine it as being you know this uh, this four-sided polygon that uh, doesn't necessarily have a regular shape it's not quite as uh, you know four corners of the of the continent but I, I get what you were saying Tim yeah it's funny you know I was looking at the map since all this COVID stuff happened and you know Tammy's always joking about the zombie apocalypse coming and this is kind of sort of the, the rehearsal I guess right and when I look at the map I'm actually closer to Tammy than I am to either of you two guys yeah geographically for sure, for sure. Anyway. all right well, I guess enough we can Real-time follow-up. <laughs> Quadrilateral was the word I was looking for, I think. Oh, I was thinking more like a rhombus was, or... Like a four-sided... Yeah, polygon was definitely... Four-sided polygon with no right angles, which I think is accurate in our case. Rhombus or... Poly, what did you say? Uh, quadrilateral is the first one I, I was able to Google for. Right. Four-sided polygon oh, okay. with no right angles. Hmm. I think, oh, yeah, because we have to have like... Yeah, I guess it's the same sort of thing as a rhombus, isn't it? A rhombus is even, even sides on both sides, right? Like two even sides, I think. I think so. Like a, yeah, and a like parallelogram yeah. has... Each of the facing sides are parallel to each other. Oh, yeah. So then it's not a rhombus I'm thinking of. Anyway, it's been a long time since so geometry. Oh, let, let's see what a rhombus is. Both are relevant here, right? Because like if, if Mark was down in, you know, like L.A. or San Diego, it'd be closer, close enough, I think, to call it a rectangle. Right. Yeah. Okay. A rhombus is a quadrilateral whose four sides all have the same length. Oh, same length. Okay. Yeah, right, right. So yeah, a parallelogram right. could be a rhombus or a rhombus yeah. could be a parallelogram, I suppose, both. Right. Although, yeah, they're, yeah. But you could have a parallel. Parallelogram that's not a rhombus, right? For sure, you could. Yeah, and you could also have a rhombus that was not a parallelogram. So, where does quadrilateral fit? Quadrilateral is the most general, I think, is any four-sided, four-sided. So hey everybody, welcome to episode 310 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario. I'm joined once again by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. And we have Armin Lopez Jr. on the line in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Almost said Mark Rubin. <laughs> I'm not both in no, San Jose I mean, and he's in More than one place at a time, exactly. <laughs> Real-time follow-up? Yeah. Every rhombus is a parallelogram, but not all parallelograms are rhombuses. Yeah, I think we, didn't we say that? Did we say that? Sort of, yeah. Now I want I to know a fact option. check if it's rhombus. Rhombuses or rhombi? Rhombi. Rhombuses? Rhombi? Yeah. Like fungus is fungi if, instead of... If it were a Latin word, it would rom- It would be rhombi, but yeah. but I'm seeing, well, on the internet, so it must be true. <laughs> Someone's calling it a, a rhombuses. So here, here's, a, here's a question for you. So what do you call a group of dolphins? Oh, do for a group of dolphins? Is, isn't that a school? Nope. I would guess it'd be like a pod, but that might be orcas. It actually is pod. Oh, I, I think orcas is pod, so maybe it's... Yeah, it's I, think, I think, yeah, it's true. That's true. And then... Uh, what do you call a group of crows? A murder. A murder of crows. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We can play this game all night. Well, the last well, one I not. want to hear is what's what's a what's a group of moose? Mooses? Mises? Moose? I don't know what the plural of moose is. Moose? Moose? Plural moose is moose. But what's a group of Mike drops? It's not a I believe you because it's like fish, but what? It's not unprecedented. But what is the the grouping of uh, of uh, moose? What's a group of moose? Probably. Uh, well, a, a female is a cow. I'm pretty sure, and a male is a bull. Group of moose. That's a good question. So it's going to be a herd then. Herd, maybe, maybe probably. But I don't. They don't they're they're solid. 
solitary animals. They, they uh, it's like a mother and a and a kid, and then or calf, and then uh, the father is the bull, and he kind of wandering around. A they herd. Don't, they don't, is it? According to Wikipedia, a Cooper herd moose? of moose. That's kind of unoriginal. Yeah, well, it's like a herd of reindeer too, right? They're, yeah. they're related. Yeah, group of moose. I was really hoping it was going to be like a rink or something, you know, like <laughs> rink. Yeah. Do you know it's funny that that uh, I didn't realize that elk and moose are the same thing, huh? Called elk in, in Eurasia. Interesting. Who knew? Who knew? Well, wait a second. Okay, uh, according to Wikipedia, so it must mm-hmm. be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, the this is the Latin name Alsace. Alsace uh, is called a quote moose in North American English, but right. an elk in British English, as you're saying. Mm. Its scientific name comes from from its name in, in Latin. The word elk in North American English, however, refers to a completely different species of deer, Cervus canadiensis, can, mm. canadensis, also mm. called the wapiti. Cool. Okay, so what do you call a uh, a, a group of frogs, an army of frogs? Mm. What do you call? What do you call not a, a group a, of elk? Not a brigade, brigade of frogs. What do you call a, that's uh, a, a that's platoon a of frogs? <laughs> What do you call oh, it? Oh, that's a reference that uh, very few would get. If anyone gets it, send us a Ask MTG. We'll send you a T-shirt. <laughs> don't don't uh, Google it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, what do you call a group of elephants? A par- no, you don't know. A pride parade. Parade. I thought. Yeah, I heard you say it. A, mm-hmm. It's a pride yeah, of yeah. lions. That's, pride that's, of lions. Yeah. yeah. A stench of skunks. Mm. <laughs> a nest of snakes. A nest of vipers. Yeah. A knot of crow toads. A pack of wolves. A zeal of zebras. Whoa, that's interesting. All right. Yeah. Um, all right. So we. Have some quick fact checks. So, so yesterday, I mean, last yesterday, last week we were talking uh, about uh, numbers, and number five forty-eight got stuck in Mark's head. I don't know if Mark knows this, but five forty-eight is the port Apple Talk used to run on. Did you know that? I did not know that. Did, did I say five forty-eight? You I did say five forty-eight, and then you corrected yourself a little later and said five sixty-eight, which is the correct height of the iPhone five, as ah, mentioned on yeah. the show. But okay. I just thought it was interesting. The five forty-eight, it's like one of those numbers, like you know, five twelve, you know, ten twenty-four. These are numbers that sort of float around in our vernacular all the time so i just wondered if you knew 548 was actually the apple apple talk port which is no longer in use as we all know right so cool all righty so we should move on to our follow-up honey what do you got i mean sorry i was looking at the ask mtjc because usually that's what you ask me and i was like there is no ask mtjc and i got all confused oh is there any ask mtjc there is not but you confused me because i was looking down at the next thing and it didn't match what my brain was reading what about that mtj that ask mtjc any of that None at the moment. Um, okay. And nothing that I could pull from the friends of the show uh, that was like a specific, like, unofficial one. Uh, but the first bit of follow-up here uh, in the the grandest sort of these are only guidelines, uh, since we talked about iPhones and possibly being delayed, uh, it looks like that's pretty official. So according to Apple's CFO, uh, Luca Maestri, in their earnings call, which is about as legit as you can get because there are legal ramifications for not making true statements, uh, quote, last year, we started selling new iPhones in late September. This year, we expect supply to be available a few weeks later. Um, mm-hmm. Seems like, uh, you know, that, that doesn't have anything to do necessarily with when they'll have the events. It doesn't have anything to do necessarily with what will they do for dates of pre-order. It could be perfectly natural to say, cool, it pre-orders the same day that you kind of expect in September, and uh, you just won't get it till October. That's, uh, or, or maybe almost November, I think, for the, the iPhone 10, right? Something like that, October, November. It does say in this article that the 10 are when it was in, introduced in um, 2018, according to what I'm reading here on the internet, so must be true, um, that they didn't hit the they were announced in, in September, but didn't hit the store till October. So it's not unusual for Apple to have production, dis, you know, like when especially 
even introduce a new technology, right? But uh, obviously this year is a slightly different uh, set of circumstances, right? But there you go. Cool. As long as I get it in, in time for the Christmas holidays, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. That's the big thing, I think. And yeah, uh, how's that stock price doing today, actually? I think about oh, very nicely. Yeah? Yeah. It's like 400 and something? 440. 440, exactly. 440, like 25. Yeah. So this is still pre-split, just depending on the time that uh, y'all are listening to the show. I think the split is at the end of the month. Is that right? Yeah, split comes at the end of the month. So it'll, if the if the, if today's stock price holds up uh, for every share you own today, you'll get four shares at $110 a piece. Nice. And then you'll be able to buy Pretty more because the price will be more approachable for most folks, right? I wish co- I wish companies like Google and stuff like that would do that because I, I probably would buy some of their stock if they weren't so heavily priced, right? Well, you can just buy fewer shares. Right? That's true. That's true. I mean, te- technically, really, a, a, a split doesn't change the valuation of the company, but but it is true that it yeah it does make it a little bit more uh, accessible to 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 some people, and there it, it gets over a little bit of the, the sticker shock fear of right, you know yeah. you know who wants to buy one share for two hundred fifty thousand dollars one share of Berkshire Hathaway right but that's what it costs whereas you know if it were a thousand dollars a share it's much more it feels much more reasonable I suppose right right but don't you always worry though like you know like like we're kind of we're kind of on a high right now with with Apple stock you know don't you think it could go back down at any point in time oh, of course or, it could yeah yeah oh, I'm not saying I'm not saying you should buy right now no 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 <laughs> I was no. saying we're, if we're you not did <laughs> yeah, just, you, yeah yeah again we're not stockbroker stock advisors these are not forward-looking financial statements play, that we are making we here play them on a right. podcast exactly right. yeah, exactly but uh, if you pay attention to the end of the show we'll have this bitcoin wallet address that you can send your money to if you like <laughs> Really? Okay. Um, wait, can't wait for that one. Honey. Can't wait for um, me to right. read out so this long 64-character <laughs> you, you that you know, A, B said, 724X. <laughs> right, right. right. Okay, what's next? Uh, so speaking of those quarterly earnings for Q3, uh, Apple's uh, financial Q3, uh, just shifted off of the the calendar year. Um, they had strong strong sales uh, and and really really good sales for uh, for iPad, which was up. I don't think this article that I linked said it did it. It was up instead of down, you know, ten percent, which is you know roughly year over year. It was up by like thirty percent, um, which is kind of not surprising given that um, with the pandemic going on there was probably a fair amount of rush for people like, oh no, like I, I have to work from home, um, either buying personal devices or companies were buying devices saying we need to outfit people with equipment for the home. Uh, and, and let's not forget about the education market where suddenly you had uh, kids who needed schooling from home or in some cases, if you're too young for schooling, it's like, look, I, I need to work from home and be effective. I kind of need them to have like an iPad or something to, to entertain them or possibly to give them, uh, you know, Zoom style uh, web instructions for schooling. So I'm kind of not surprised that, that iPad sales were up so much. Right. Yeah, I, I do wonder how much of it is because of school. You know, if a lot of since since all the kids are working from home, they need something to do their work on, right, or communicate with the teacher or whatever. And and if they're and if they're in online classes most of the day, then they can't use mom or dad's iPad. I mean, I suppose it could, but but mom and dad wants wants to use their own iPad, right? So so they need 
another one. As you said, kind of makes sense. So looking at these these uh, sales numbers, what are we looking at, like on this chart this year? Like, they don't really have a number across the top. Like, is this like the last four quarters of sales? No, well, I was wondering that myself. It's it's definitely not the last four quarters of sales because the, the third and the fourth are much higher than the first and the second. Yeah, so I was kind of wondering, so right? I wonder if, if it's Q3 of this year versus Q3 of last year and mm. then the fiscal year this year versus last year, maybe? Yeah, because even though know. it's down from like the, the third column to the fourth column, like the, the services number is, is crazy high, right? Compared to where it was in the first column. I wish they'd put some sort of idea here, right? Net sales by category, it says. See, I'm kind of scanning the article to see if I can find any more info. I mean, they're talking about the fact that the updated 13-inch MacBook Pro, uh, they think it led to this, this. When was the earnings call, by the way? Is it like Tuesday? Okay, here it is. If you you follow a couple of the link, couple of links, there's um, that same table is is listed in an actual Apple document. So what okay, the, yeah. So the first column is three months. It is exactly what I was just saying. Three months ended June 27, 2020, is the first column. Mm-hmm. Second column is June 20. 29th, 2019. So the first column is this year, Q3, versus last year, Q3. So you can okay. see it went up, gross margin went up by about 10%. Um, total cost sales, well, that doesn't matter. Um, yeah, total net sales, let's see, 6K, that's that's more than 10%. Yeah, that's pretty That's pretty nice. Um, and then the second two columns, oh, okay, they're nine months ended, June 27th, 2020, and June 29th, 2019. So this year, last three quarters, versus last year, last three quarters, which is kind of a, kind of a fun way to show it i guess mm. uh but again they're showing it's a it's it was a 13 13k well these are all in billions right um <laughs> but in the chart they're listed in, in uh i'm sure yeah it, yeah yeah these are millions so when i say k i mean k thousands of millions so it's you know 209 billion almost 210 billion versus 196 billion so that's that's an increase of almost 14 billion that's almost 10 percent not quite 10 percent but almost 10 percent maybe eight percent over over nine months that's that's pretty nice growth mm. for a company as big as Apple, right, right. which is why the stock price went crazy, right? The stock price yeah. is up something like, what, 60 bucks since when this all started, something like that? Yeah. Well, I did it quite a dip too, right? So when this all started. All right. Um, yeah, just interesting. Well, too, no, I mean, it, it was, I mean, it's it's way an all-time high right now. I think the all-time high was barely 400 before. No, I know. Yeah. So I know it's, it's up from there, but it did yeah. go down quite a bit when, when COVID first hit, right? Oh, I sure, sure. But it recovered a lot since then. like the whole market went down right so yeah yeah so it's it's performing phenomenally when you consider that that dip as well right well but like, but the whole market had was way way up uh even before since then i mean before that happened so the market last week was was higher than it was before the covid dropped it completely recovered cool all right so did, did you mention here the uh the testifying in uh in front of the grand jury i guess it was the house judiciary committee did you guys follow any of that stuff this week no yeah I, I kind of tuned it out, but okay, you guys talk about it. <laughs> it. It was very strange because you had four CEOs representing four very different tech companies where the the issues that you would see coming out of any one of them don't really have anything to do with the others except for the fact that they have tech and big as part of their industry. So that was right. uh, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook. 
Tim Cook of Apple, Sundar Pichai of Google, and Jeff Bezos of Amazon, and and notably absent, which is, is sort of strange given what the topic was, uh, notably absent of, as in terms of not invited to be very clear, was uh, they didn't invite Satya Nadella from Microsoft. Hmm. Yeah, but they, they, they covered sorts of, of, of different things as, as folks do. There, there were some, I think, really good pointed questions. Those were, I think, far and few between. Uh, you had sort of more sort of typical uh, somebody's trying to make a point, whether that's more political or setting the stage for, you know, potential regulatory action. And then you had some some interesting gaffes where people were asking, again, asking about like, hey, I have this issue with this service or product. And the CEO is like, we don't make that. <laughs> that's a different company. Oh, really? I, think <laughs> I think it was uh, somebody asking about uh, suppression of content on Twitter. And Mark Zuckerberg oh, right. obviously has nothing to do with that being a Facebook. Right, right. Can you fix my computer, by the way? My computer <laughs> doesn't work. Yeah, not that we've ever gotten that, eh? All right. What you got next, Tommy? This one, I apologize. I realize now that it is apparently exclusive to the U.S. And, oh, and I was going to point that out. Don't worry. So that's a bummer. Um, <laughs> but oh, at what, least wait, what is it? I'm very interested in that. <laughs> they've, solved, <laughs> they've solved this this weirdo problem of I have two different colors of money in terms of Apple money, and I've run into this problem before, where you can buy an iTunes gift card. It's great for you know iTunes purchases, apps or purchases, any sort of digital service that Apple might provide you. But that was altogether different than a gift card for the Apple store, which pretty much can only buy you stuff from their retail store, I think physical and, and online. So if you wanted to buy something that was physical in some way, you use the Apple store card, or if you wanted digital stuff, you wanted the iTunes store card. And I've definitely received the wrong kind before as Many a gift. Times. And then yeah. just sort of had to, you know, to wait and figure out what I was going to do. No more. There is now an Apple gift card that is coming out that will be, as you would expect, Apple, I just want to give you my money. So uh, they've made that a little bit more seamless now and then less of a, oh man, you know, somebody got me the wrong gift sort of thing. They, well-intentioned and clearly I appreciate it, but it's like kind of a bummer that, uh, you know, this incredibly large size market cap company is uh, is, is struggling to, to link up the databases that represent money that has been yeah, given crazy, to them. Eh? Yeah. So, so is there any be, I, it doesn't say here in the article, but I wonder if there's going to be any sort of way to get that money out of my iTunes account and into my Apple Store account, you know? Like, I've got hundreds of dollars in my iTunes account because, like you said, people give me the wrong card all the time, right? So, yeah, it's kind of annoying. And then, uh, you know, the other problem I have, again, with this two Apple ID things, some of my services are built to one Apple ID, and the one that has all the money doesn't get billed nearly as much, you know? It's kind of ironic. Apple still can't. Like, there's not just two databases, databases they can't join up there's actually four databases they can't join up or three i don't know oh and you don't have apple cash do you in in canada no and we don't have apple card either while you're at it well it wasn't <laughs> the, the apple card doesn't solve your problem but i was thinking oh maybe you could like apple cash as dumb as it is apple cash yourself wait don't you don't you need don't you need an apple card to have apple cash <laughs> probably I, uh, isn't isn't it I mean, maybe no i think it might have come out uh 
uh, isn't like it you could send and then you, for 20% of our listeners just tuned out. Well, right? <laughs> and, and this is why oh, you can send, okay. I see. You can yeah, send, you can send it with other. Apple pay. You're right. With Apple pay, you can right, send right. cash. Yeah. Yep. You're right. You can. Yep. We do have healthcare though. Yeah. I was going to say like, <laughs> Oh, maybe Tim, you do something funny and, and, and send yourself Apple cash from your own yeah, account. No, to I, other thought account, about, I thought about doing feasible. that. I thought about calling Apple and saying like, cause they're not one way. Like, okay. In fact, like, you know, because, because I got these two Apple IDs are both in the same family account, right? So why can't one family member be billed for the stuff? You know, like, I don't know. It's craziness. Like my iCloud and my Apple Music and they're, they're, they're built to different different Apple IDs, right? So it's really ironic. Yeah, you'd think it would be set up in such a way that you could like have, I don't know, have have your kid or whatever, you know, you pay for their account, you get billed for their account or something. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of so how, how it is, right? Like I have one, one Apple account that I use for for my iTunes purchases for my apps and stuff like that, right? And then the other one is used for iCloud and photo or what is it? iCloud and Apple Music and stuff like that goes on the other one. It's just annoying. Oh, interesting. I wonder if I could work. I just bought two really heavy, expensive pieces of hardware and I'm not able to take advantage of some of the free services that come with, right? So maybe I can use my double identity thing to get some free services, right? <laughs> anyway, um... All right, let's see. What are we up to now? Uh, this is me? No. Yes, it's me, right? So, yeah, I, I, I've, I, I put a strike through on this this uh, this particular article. Oh, we talked about this already, didn't we? The prices of Apple? No, we haven't talked about this yet. The pricing of Apple's iPhone 12? But note the note the author of the article before you start. <laughs> I knew Mark was going to say that when I saw the article. <laughs> well, it's interesting It's interesting because, yeah, so what you can't see in the, in the show notes here, I copy and paste the, the title of the article into the show notes all the time. And, and I'm going to read you what it says. It says, iPhone 12 shock, Apple's price changes revealed, right? And so I struck through the shock because I just, I didn't like that. But yeah, Mark is pointing out that it's it's coming from Forbes.com and it's written by his friend and your friend, Gordon <laughs> Kelly. So um, I don't know what to say about this article now. I'm scared. Uh, it looks like they've edited the headline though, because it doesn't say shock in my version. Yeah, I know. They must have changed it recently too. Yeah. Um, but didn't we just talk about, I just, oh, you know I read the reader version of this. That's why it doesn't look the same to me. Uh, it turned, you know, it turned off all the ads and stuff by clicking the reader button at the top of the browser. Let's do that now. There we go. Oh, it's all in dark mode now. Great. Um, yeah, this is just talking about the the pricing of the new phone, um, the iPhone 12. I think. Um, I don't know. It's supposed to, like I think I think it said it was slightly larger, slightly more than last year. I can't remember six forty six ninety nine for the base phone, um, all the way up to the iPhone twelve Max at eleven forty nine for the base phone. Um, oh, I see for the base. That's where I got confused because I I sort of zeroed in on all right, what's the equivalent for the device yeah. that I have now, which is an iPhone ten, yeah, two hundred and fifty six gigs, um, and it looks like the rough equivalent would be the iPhone twelve Pro. That's correct. Yeah, at eleven forty nine for two hundred fifty six. I say, wow, that's actually at the time value of money. That's a savings because it's the same exact price <laughs> it was in 2017 dollars. So I've, yeah, I've saved yeah. like three to nine percent, depending. Well, maybe that's why they took the shock off the name of the title of the article because I don't know. Yeah, so I, I do. Th- I, I don't recall exactly where the sort of the entry level model was for the uh, the flagships, but six ninety nine might not be unprecedented. I, I think they did that with something. 
Um, but if we've forgotten, it could be $50 more than the 649 they've historically had. When the iPhone 10 came out, wasn't it? That's when it was, oh, it's such a big deal because it now, a phone now costs more than $1,000. Wasn't that, yes, that, wasn't that it? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and so that meant the iPhone 8 must have been significantly cheaper if the 10 was $1,000. So, yeah, I can believe it was around 700 I mean, this doesn't seem too crazily out of whack. No, it's, I'm, I'm, not, I'm looking at it kind of scratching my head now, right? Yeah, yeah. Interesting, though, they're talking about, he's talking about adding the lidar sensor to uh, to the phone, which is the lidar sensor is what they've added to the I, the iPad Pro uh, in the current incarnation. But also talking about the fact that they're this is from Comia that uh, there's going to be smaller batteries in these phones. But that may also be that Apple's come up with some new you know squishy technology. They do that every now and then, right? And getting rid of the 120 hertz displays. Which do we have those on phones now? I can't remember. And then we have those on iPad. Do we have the 120 gigahertz or megahertz phones? Do you know? No, no. No, it's 120 hertz, not megahertz. 120 hertz, yeah. Yeah. It's a refresh rate. Yeah. Yeah, so I have to say. Well, it's all coming with this, apparently with iPhone 5, with 5G as well, right? So, well, read this article at your leisure, folks. We're just confused. And, uh, yeah, you oh, know, they're talking about uh, Apple working, not necessarily for this model, but, but for future models to try to reduce the trypophobia, which is the fear of holes effect mm-hmm. on folks. And, you know, I think there's something to be said about the arrangement for that. So um, the... The, the two camera lenses doesn't, I don't, I hope wouldn't bother too many people, but I think when you have, you know, three and four in a particular arrangement, it can get sort of uncomfortable for folks. But what I, what I noticed is that, uh, on the Samsung side, so they just came out with new phones today and they have three lenses sort of vertically arranged in a very you know, tidy row. And for me, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that actually kind of looks like a traffic light. I wonder if psychologically that ends up being <laughs> different and it looks less like a, a like a diseased animal or something or whatever it is that, that triggers the phobia mm-hmm. in folks, right? Like that, that sort of, uh, very low level brain yeah. sort of fear that comes out. Yeah. The amygdala. Good old amygdala. Um, yeah. So interesting. Uh, we had something similar to this a couple of years ago, I think when, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the new simulator is the, um, the edges on it, like the, the notch and the curves and the sides and stuff like that are all, they seem to be flexible. Cause I, I remember that we were, we were talking about this a couple of years ago that there was some sort of graphics that people had discovered inside the um, the uh, inside the betas, right? And they, they surmised that maybe there's a new phone format coming out or something like that. But it turns out it's just, I think these are just piece, pieced graphics. It's just a common technique in, in web and, and design is to, is to have tiles that you use to put together different things. And so what people have discovered in the beta is that, beta 14, iOS 14, is that there's a 5.4 inch uh, configuration that you can, you can in, incarnate inside the code. So assuming that there's going to be a smaller phone, this 5.4-inch phone, I think we talked about that before, but um, you know, people have been able to sort of mock it up in inside of uh, inside of their Xcodes. Um, and different, you know, slightly smaller resolution, they're, they're figuring out that it's like 960 by 2079 as opposed to 1125, which is the current iPhone 11 Pro size. So sort of a smaller phone, sort of something between an SE and a, and a Pro, I guess, right? Interesting size format. What do you think? Yeah, iPhone mini? Yeah, I do think, so they're, they're talking here about how little, if this perception is true, it'd be similar to the, the OG iPhone SE mm. that had the, the four inch display, but you would have more vertical space for, uh, presumably they mean on the screen. So, so a physical device that feels more like an original iPhone SE in terms of the, you know, the, the physical sizing, but with more screen real estate, cause you don't have the forehead and chin and, uh, you know, notch differences can be different from like the iPhone 
iPhone uh, 10, etc. So that'll that'll be interesting. I'll I'll definitely have to see what's going on. So I'd made the statement just earlier in this very show that I'm probably going to be the the pro user, um, partially because it seems to be physically the closest to what I have now. Now it says I think they said 6.1 inch physical, but um, I'm sorry, 6.1 inch um, uh, dimensions uh, on the diagonal for the, the screen. But you know if you if you shaved some off of the iPhone 10, so it has smaller bezels, I could see how you'd get from the like 5.8, 5.85 inches, I think it is for this one. I just sort of assumed to be closer in size, yeah. but you know, if, if that, uh, if that screen real estate is, uh, is nice enough, maybe I might drop down to the, to the smaller phone, um, unless there was something in the pro that I really, really truly wanted. So it'll be, be an interesting well, choice for folks. Yeah. And it's, and it's got the face ID thing, which, but it's interesting that, um, cause isn't the, the lowest price phone right now bigger? Isn't that, that what do you call it? The uh, 10R, right? Isn't that the best? It's not a pro, but, or is that, do they get rid of the 10R? Is, we don't have an 11R, do we right now? Oh, no. Right. And yeah, is that cheaper than the 399 second generation SCQ? iPhone SE? Yeah, I don't know. Because don't remember they, they, when they came out with the 10R, it was a less expensive phone because it didn't have the OLED screen, and it was, but it was actually physically larger, right? This one here, they're claiming based on the math that they've done that it's going to actually have a higher pixels per inch, 425 pixels per inch as opposed to 326 is what we currently have, right? So even a dense, more dense display, even in a small size, smaller size. Yeah, I guess they're trying to they're trying to appease those people who, you know, don't want to get away from the uh, Touch ID based uh, SE form factor, right? You know, it's it's useful figure. useful to have. I mean, if you looked at the the presumed pricing for what we just talked about, once you get into a particular range, it becomes a how much money do you have and what are you willing to make as a trade off, right? You could see right. that there were like, well, for fifty dollars more, very similar to popcorn pricing, like for fifty dollars more, you could go from the cheapest end to sort of the mid tier, and then for like fifty dollars more from that mid tier, you could go to the the higher tier, roughly, you know, very similar to the. Eventually, you start paying for like the most expensive popcorn because it just seems silly not to just given the incremental changes and the the se is a pretty nice one to anchor the complete sort of other end of that where there there isn't as much in the middle even though they, they do try to fill that in with the the older models that we're obviously struggling to talk about but it it's trying to have like a nice sort of smooth gradient along you know 399 to um i didn't see what the top model was on this one the from 399 to 1449, you have uh, uh, roughly a, a very smooth line. Not perfect. It's not exactly linear, but but you get the idea. There are four phones currently for sale on Apple Store. You can still get the 10R. You can get the SE. You can get the 11 or the 11 Pro. Oh, and that includes the Pro Max. So I guess five. Hmm. And if the page would open, I could get relative prices here. <laughs> but it's taking a really long time to open. With Apple? Well, yeah. Let's move on because it's taking forever to open. All right. We'll do that. Next one. So is it Linux or Linux? <laughs> it is Linux, even though it is Linus Torvalds is the creator. Really? Okay. I, uh, I remember that discussion way back, way back in the days in which you might have had uh, weekly or monthly tech magazines that would have come to your your mailbox and people explaining how that that worked. So I've, I've sort of held on to that for such a very long time because of that. Uh, but speaking of of Linux, um, quick update: the uh, the very nice folks at One Pass have uh, come out with their full-featured Linux desktop app or the One Password uh, password manager, which is which is pretty neat. And I think goes, uh, I guess, disclosure. I'm a I'm a customer, so I've, I've been using One Password for a while now, uh, the subscription service. And when folks ask me, like, well, um, you know, 
iCloud Keychain does a really good job. You're an Apple guy. Why why do you have this thing? It's like, well, because there uh, there isn't currently a use case for me to be using other platforms like Windows or Android, which are already supported by one password, but it, it is very plausible for me to end up using uh, Linux for, for some of the work. And actually it turns out Windows probably for some of my work stuff. And, you know, if you are, you know, very clearly going to just stay in the Apple ecosystem, I think it's really hard to beat the value for um, iCloud Keychain and how easy it is to use. But I think if you live in a, in a heterogeneous sort of mixed usage kind of thing uh, or think that you might, I'd say take a look at 1Password because that's obviously pretty nice that they're adding all of these different platforms. You know, as a, as a user too, um, I've been using 1Password a long, long time. And what I like about it is this is not just, you know, stuff that you would stick into iCloud Keychain that you can keep track of. You can keep track of Visa cards and you can keep track of all kinds of, I have my passports in there, you know, some identities in there. Um, you know, so it's re- you have ready access to to other kinds of records other than just uh, just passwords and logins and that kind of stuff, right? So I find it has quite a quite a bit of uses. I keep all my software licenses in there too, so if I ever have to reinstall something, I don't have to go hunting around for a CD with a serial number passed pasted on it too. I also like the way they do their um, two-factor authentication support, right? So, like, you know, if you go to enter something in um, on the fly, it copies the one-time one-time key into your clipboard so you can quickly paste it in so you have the your three meta, your three pieces of data you need to log into a site. So, something that, that currently um, iCloud Keychain doesn't do, right? Yeah, and that's why I think it's really nice to see, um, you know, more than one player in this and have a whole industry. It says, you know, we've talked about the uh, Have I Been Pwned service that works with 1Password right. to figure out, like, yep. you know, has your, your password been been distributed elsewhere by by nefarious you know people on the on the dark webs. Um, I just saw an article today that LastPass has added an equivalent type feature, and I think that's a really good thing to see multiple uh, sustainable. Apple's adding businesses. that in, in iOS fourteen though, right? Apple's also bringing that in. That uh, okay? I didn't I didn't I didn't remember that. So yeah, thank you for, for mentioning that. So it's it's good to see multiple players in this market. Yeah. I mean, I do use both. I mean, I, I started using um, you know for convenience sake, I do when Safari says, hey, do you want me to remember this password? I say, sure. But I always know my, my, go back, my fallback is always 1Password. It's the first app I install on any computer I set up. It's funny you, you think know, of it the opposite way that I do. I realized that one of my passwords is a Safari uh, iCloud keychain-based password, and I got really angry that it wasn't in 1Password. I was like, oh, really? I was like what the heck oh. did I do? Why did I do that? Why did I not save it in 1Password? Like, I'm sure you oh. can go take a look at the information, but I, I had reasons to, to look at the, the entry, and I, I don't really mess with with iCloud keychain so I didn't want to Google search. I was like, I just want to go into one password and look at the info. I think you can go to Safari on your Mac and you can see the, the passwords. You can decrypt them, right? I'm sure you can for somebody who uses it regularly. I, I don't, mm. so I'm sort of like the oh, okay. mirror universe version of you. I was like, oh no, why did I do this? Why is it in iCloud? I wanted it to be in one password. Yeah, well, if I was using Linux, I would be... Oh, actually, I do have a couple of Linux servers now you say that, so but I don't have a GUI on them, so I use them headless. All right, that's cool. All right, so I got a couple of things here I wanted to follow up on. One is the last week, Kami's pick of the week was the Mac Catalyst tutorial that Apple produced. And so since I'm in the throes of, of going through and, uh, you know, Macifying my one of my apps, uh, which is which runs on iPad and it runs using the split view controller, um, this tutorial kind of looked interesting, and I, so I thought I would go through it. And um, I got to say, so it, it walks you through a couple of different things. One is um, adding this new sidebar 
toolbar that, that comes out in iOS 14, um, which requires that you add a, a new button to like a new Navro. So there's a way of adding the NS toolbar that you get from, from Mac into into the Catalyst app. Uh, so you can have your, you know, so obviously you run it, you put like a, a if available kind of a parameter. Does it, does it if um, target environment, um, what do you call it, almost like a pre, what do you call those things when you do the pound if something, is that pre-compiled header or some kind of thing? Other pre, pre-processor corrective? About yeah, something like that. But in Swift, it's slightly different. But yeah. Um, yeah, so but you can put the target environment is Mac Catalyst. And so you can say, you know, if this is running on a Mac, then, then you know, use the NS toolbar and then you turn, you can hide the the iOS tab bar and that kind of stuff, right? Um, I did find this adding the sidebar a little a little sort of boilerplatey and and kind of heavy in terms of the concept. Um, and that could be I'm not wasn't sure if it was because of the type of t- uh, application that Apple had created as a sample app to start with, or because you don't start from scratch, you start with a ready made app, right? Um, and or if it was because of you know I really haven't looked at a diffable data source enough, so I couldn't say whether that that complexity came from from that supporting that kind of thing um, but it did it did kind of work pretty well it, it, you end up creating a in their example you end up creating a collection view inside of the sidebar which is handy for picking you know the records that they're, they're talking about and the last part is is swapping out the the uh, iOS and the uh, UI navigator navigation toolbar for an NS toolbar uh, I'm at the very end of that so I, I found it interesting but but um, my concern with it is that um, it's kind of tailored to like their ready-made app. I don't know if, if anybody could just sort of pick this code up and just run with it. Um, like it's not like codes, code like code recipes you could use. It sort of walks you through the, the process of converting the app. But so it was an interesting, interesting tutorial. Um, I learned quite a bit about uh, about how to modify uh, an iOS app into into uh, a Mac app without having to go down the whole app ca- app kit route, which I've done before as well. So interesting tutorial. Not oh, and uh, gotta say, um, I did it mostly on my on my MacBook Pro. Which currently runs uh, Catalina, and I do have the Xcode uh, twelve beta on it. And they do say in the tutorial on Tin that you you should use the uh, the beta OS as well. Um, I didn't. I got like ninety nine percent of the way through the tutorial without without having to need that. But they had li- there was like one last little line when I got to the part where with the, about the NS toolbar, I had to switch over to my my beta machine and run um, and run it there. So I, I actually had to take the code over and move it over to the other machine that's actually running um, Big Sur on it and uh, to be able to do the final compilation of the tutorial. So you can go like, you know, most of the way through the tutorial without having to, to be on the beta if, if you're curious about that. And that's cool. So that's it on that subject. Questions, concerns, nothing? All right. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes for to the tutorial, but it was the same pick that, that Jaime did last week. The review of the review of the tutorial is what I just did. And so the last little bit of follow-up we have here is the COVID alert app, which we talked about, which is Canada's selection from the uh, apps that uh, are supporting the framework that, um, I forget what the framework is called, but the framework for, for uh, detecting whether you've been exposed, developed by Apple and Google, um, is, was, is out. It just came out uh, last week. Uh, it was supposed to be at the beginning of July, but it came out, you know, the very tail end. Um, and again, I've put, you know, it's out, but, and the but is this, is that it requires the latest version of, of iOS, so iOS 13.6. And the problem with that is for a large population of people in Canada who could use it, um, they don't have anything greater than an iPhone 6. So anybody 
who doesn't ha- you have to use the minimum so minimum uh, phone it will support is an iPhone 6s which we've been talking about ironically for the last couple of weeks because that's the only one that can run iOS 13 and uh, any greater um, yeah so that's kind of the um, you know I, I, I possibly due to the framework requirement I'm not sure if it, how, what the requirement is on Android because of course it's out for Android as well but yeah it was interesting that, that they've gone a little bit of heat in the news uh, in the media about the fact that uh, senior citizens and, and persons who don't have tons of money uh, are kind of left out in the cold that were uh, as far as this app is concerned the other concern that I have personally have about it is that you know it requires people who have had who get in contact with COVID to go in and report and get a number and that they then put into their into the app so that they can go into the database and share their share the fact that they're that they're a, ca- a candidate for someone who could be potentially spreading it to other people and then you know you know what I mean like the, they have to opt in to be able to report that they've uh, been exposed or their potential carrier right alrighty so I guess we'll move on to the next story here I may yeah this is all I almost called this follow-up because of uh, you know every once in a while I, I end up encountering these articles and and this article is by um, Lee Ka Seng the Swift Senpai and you know sometimes they come across these articles like oh wow uh, a very typical sort of uh, programming exercise that you might see in an interview is solvable in one line of code and uh, this is one of those and in this case it is grouping array elements with dictionary in Swift so in Swift 5 there's a new um, a new method that you can call on, on dictionary that does uh, something kind of interesting so if you can imagine the problem where you're told okay you have an array of objects that have you know a few different properties and we want you to group the items in that array into a dictionary where the key uh, key value I should say is you know one of the um, properties so like in this example that he gives you have a device object that is defined that has a, a category and a name so the examples he gives like a category of laptop a name of MacBook Air a different uh, instance that has category laptop and a name of MacBook Pro or maybe a category of mobile phone with a name of iPhone SE so you want to group those by the category, let's say, property, which you end up with a dictionary where one of the keys is laptop, and then all of uh, the uh, the items in the array, the elements in the array that are of you know the category laptop will be under that dictionary key entry, and then all of the ones that match for mobile phone will be the value for the entry and the the key for mobile phone. So you could do this with loops, um, and and I think it is a very similar in structure to programming exercises that I've seen in in interviews, but but why even have to? Because now there is a uh, an initializer for dictionary called init grouping by, where the thing that you are grouping is uh, the array that we're going to pass in, and the by is a closure that you pass in to say how do you want this particular function to process and essentially divvy up this dictionary. Uh, so uh, we'll have the link in the show notes for those of you driving at home, but it's pretty neat to see how. All right, so here's a, a, a few different devices. You know, there's a handful of laptops that are Mac, you know, MacBook Pro, MacBook Air, um, some Galaxy Books, 
some Chromebooks, and then some mobile phones like an iPhone SE, an iPhone 11, uh, Samsung Galaxy S, Galaxy Note, and Pixel. And you say, okay, cool. So what if we wanted to group those? It's pretty easy, right? So if we said we wanted to group them by category into this dictionary, it's literally just dictionary grouping the array that you pass in. And then the closure is just, you know, with the shorthand method is just $0.category. And way down at the article from other uh, fans that were responding to him said like, hey, you don't even have to write that much. You can just change that that closure to use the key path. So, you know, the uh, the backslash uh, .category will get you to the right property that you want. But wait, there's more because you're passing in this closure means you can do sort of arbitrary processing that you want. So if you wanted to, you know, say, all right, well, we're going to divvy this up by all of the Apple devices, whether it's a laptop or a mobile phone, doesn't matter as long as it was developed by Apple. That's how we want to separate. So your function, your closure, I should say, that you're passing in can say like, all right, well, if the name of this device is a MacBook or an iPhone, go ahead and return a key of uh, Apple that matches up or otherwise just, you know, put all the riffraff into the others bucket. And then he shows the example of how it's very straightforward to to filter and, and uh, not filter, I should say, uh, segregate those, uh, those arrays. And you could also do it by a custom object, which spoilers, as long as you've defined a custom object that is hashable, it's really easy because all you have to do is have that one liner that says, here's my dictionary that I want to create grouping this particular particular array. And here is the key path to the property of like, let's say like a company, we might say uh, Apple is a company or Samsung is a company and define our device such that it has a category property, a name property and a company property. And as long as that property is hashable, the magic happens for you. So I thought that was pretty neat because that's, that's going to be handy for folks that are doing all sorts of processing. That's like, you know, rearrange this data structure because we want to, uh, you know, different lookup values or, you know, maybe there are or different options that people might have depending on what they're looking to filter by. This is really cool. I've I've actually, you know, everyone's had to solve this problem a million times and, mm-hmm. and it's always really annoyed me having to do it the, the regular way of doing the loop and creating a, an array at every time, you know, it's, it's just dumb. So the, the way I have recently solved it is using uh, a reduce statement in Swift where where you, you pass you, you pass a dictionary in through each pass of the reduce statement and, and then you have a, a closure as well to decide what where to put it in but this is way more intuitive this is this is really nice i actually suspected they probably do implement it with a reduce under the hood uh, but uh but the reduce is all is you know it looks it looks kind of kludgy and it's not really clear what what's going on there this is this is really nice i like this a lot mm-hmm. that's pretty cool yeah but again if, if they let you choose your programming language you, you could be very <laughs> very cheeky and say here you go we're done so do i get the job now or what i solved your problem <laughs> in 30 seconds Seconds. Right. Cool. So what did they announce today, Hami? You know, if you're going to be writing writing Swift, it, it might be nice to have uh, a newer device to do so on, right? Because why not? It's always nice to have newer devices. And uh, the iMac line, um, Intel iMac, to be just very clear, because we are in that sort of transition era where Apple Silicon-based Macs are coming. But this is a pretty nice spec bump for the iMac line uh, with the 27-inch and I think the 21-inch, 21 21.5-inch models getting upgraded. So... Um, 
one thing that's pretty nice is they've done away with spinning drives. So no more fusion drive, which paired a, a smaller SSD with a larger volume uh, hard disk HDD. Now it's all SSD across the board. And these get the, uh, it says here, the 10th generation Comet Lake CPUs out of Intel with six and eight core CPU standard going up to a 10 core Intel Core i9 with turbo boost up to five gigahertz. So it's, uh, it's pretty nifty, pretty nifty. So if people were afraid that they would be uh, sort of stuck waiting for the Apple Silicon transition to happen, as Apple mentioned, they'll continue to have Intel-based devices for a couple more years at least. Cool. I also, actually, another thing, I don't know if it mentions in this article. I the saw 5K an art- display too, right? Did you mention that? I thought it already had a 5K display. Yeah, uh, it did. And the chassis design is the same, but I, I think it's not mentioned in this article, I don't think, but I believe I saw people online saying that the camera has been updated to a 1080p camera. So you're going to be doing Zoom calls mm. from the from the home office. This is uh, right. going to make you look that much nicer, crisper. So wasn't, this, wasn't there like an iPhone, or sorry, uh, an iMac Pro at one point like that had the 5K display? Well, I th- I think, it, yes, or- it did have a 5K display, but I don't believe that was unique to the iMac Pro. As I, I used to work oh, at a okay. place that did used one of those as a as a really cool build machine. Right, right. And it came in, in the like dark gray color instead of the, the stainless steel kind of look. Yes, right, right. But, you know, to max out this thing, which I just went through the exercise of doing, not even including all the final cut and logic and all that, <laughs> it's still 9000 bucks fully wow. maxed out. Oh, it's just, is it just a 27 inch that got refreshed or did the 21 get refreshed just 27 inch yeah oh i see 21 got something different on it uh, although most of the changes happened to the 27 inch but yeah you know i'm kind of not surprised it's 9000 and it's it's sort of weird and i think that there there is something to be said about the mac pro being at the high high end that i thought oh that's not that much money <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like buying a Kia sedan of some, or sorry, a, a Kia coupe of some sort is essentially what that is right there. Yeah, this yeah. has something called nanotexture glass. Is that a new thing? Uh, that was on the nanotexture was on the Pro XD Pro display. display. Okay, XDR. well you can, you can get yeah. that on the on this Mac yeah. for an additional five hundred bucks. Yeah, uh, glare, I think, right? Then if you bump it up to the three point six gig ten core tenth generation Intel Core i nine. And 128 gigs of memory, and the Radeon Pro 5700 XT was 16 gigs of memory, and the 8 terabyte SSD storage, and the 10 gigabit Ethernet, <laughs> and might as well throw in the Magic Mouse 2 and Magic Trackpad 2. Final price 89.28. Wow. How many do you want? Yeah, the uh, interesting that I just look at the 21 inch. That's sort of the form factor I like. Um, they only have two options for hard drives: 256 storage or one terabyte fusion drive. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So there's no sort of 512 or whatever. I run my Mac. I run a. We have an iMac upstairs, and I run it off a 512k or 480, should say, um, SSD drive that I got the very first one I got. Yeah, I'm all Maced out this year, so. <laughs> Not going to be buying any more new Macs this year, but yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I still need to buy a Mac, but, but I'm torn by the Apple Silicon issue. Yeah, so I mean, so that's a good question. So now that we're working from home for the next little while, you know, we're going to be, are we sitting at a desk? Are we looking at laptops still? Or because we don't quite need the portability at the moment, right? It's true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and I've, like I've been saying for a while, I've thought about just getting a Mac Mini, hooking it up to my big screen, but but they don't come with it. They come with a crappy graphics card, so mm. I don't know. Well, I don't know if they're crappy, but they're not as good as the right. Right. Another one. So I don't know. I don't know what to do. 
I'm just looking at my uh, server here on the sidebar here. It says no backups for 742 days. So how long do you think it's been yeah. since I turned on the Xserve? Two 743 days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Where are we? I'm in. Who has again. this interesting comment here on uh, on my my article here? Well, it's interesting. Yeah. So so again, device tracker to to flog a dead horse is a core database app, right? So I've been looking at uh, upgrading. Um, like I, you know, it was written with the old school core data, and now we have this new object. What's it called, Mark? It's it's no, it's a wrapper for the persistent the container. Persistent container, yeah. Because yep. used to have the manage object context and the NS or the persistent store. And the third thing I can't remember, but this uh, persistence container creates one way to access the three, right? They're all wrapped inside. Anyway, so I've been looking at a lot of core data articles, and I was actually looking at another article from 2018 on doing exactly what this one is talking about, Jaime. So I'm kind of curious about this article. You know, it's funny. I, I, I bring up this article, which is uh, by Donnie Walls. It says setting up a core data store for unit tests. And I wasn't looking at this article because I was looking to do those very things. Although I think that's definitely pretty good advice on, you know, how do you properly set up a core data's persistent store such that um, you can use it for unit tests and, and sort of not you know, hurt yourself. Um, but it came to my attention uh, via Twitter, I think, or, or maybe an RSS feed or something, that there's some information that sort of just blew my mind of like, oh my gosh, I think this might have been an issue that I had seen at a, at a previous job where, you know, we'd get these weird, hard to reproduce, could never really figure out the problem with core data where we happened to be using an in-memory store. And I saw some information here uh, in this article of like, oh, by the way, when you use the NS in-memory store type, as opposed to the, the SQL-backed type, um, certain features like cascading deletes might not work as you expect. And apparently, <laughs> right, those features depend on uh, default storage that SQLite has uh, and the way it operates that uh, is not available to an in-memory store. Uh, and apparently this person had gotten actual uh, information out of like a WWDC session and from talking to some Apple folks that what you can do as a workaround to still have the uh, the effect of an in-memory store that, that isn't going to save the state, you know, across uh, lifetime usage of an app. You, you might have a reason for it. You might want to have a database, be populated, be used, and then go away. Um, that was the case for one app I worked on. Uh, but in this case, for, for core data, that's actually pretty useful, right? Because you don't want uh, changes to the database to be um, making the state, you know, something that blows up your test. We're like, hey, there's not supposed to be a record in here. Well, it's only in there because this other test ran first for reasons. And now everything is, has gone terrible, right? You might want to have your your setup and your teardown, create a database uh, in core data, do something with it, and then blow it away so that the next test can run in isolation. Well, apparently, if you want to do it sort of the, the 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 correct way, where correct is it blows my mind that I'm getting this information out of this article and not like official docs, is that you can create a SQLite-based store for core data that effectively writes to, to memory, not anywhere permanent, by setting it to write to dev null instead of an actual SQLite file. So dev null is the old uh, null device from uh, Unix systems that discards everything that you write to it, but claims 
falsely that uh, the right operation succeeded. So it, it was really kind of an interesting nugget of, wow. So if you just set up your persistent store description and say, right, the URL is a, a file URL with the path to dev null and then set, you know, the containers store description, you're done. And you've effectively gotten uh, all of the power of what the SQLite sort of features that power um, the, the core data that's backed with SQLite database, but with the effect of it's basically an in-memory store because none of that data is actually being saved anywhere. So, wow, I was I was pretty <laughs> impressed. It was like, wow, this information from so, this wow. WWDC video. And also talked to some folks from Apple and, and figured out that, yeah, this is kind of what you need to do as a workaround. And it made so me you think, sh- you should have gone to WWDC that year. I know, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, there were <laughs> so many like weird one-off, like, oh, this thing crashed, you know, something was inconsistent. It's like, how can it be inconsistent? It's an in-memory store. You couldn't possibly. And I was like, oh, I never really thought of like, what if the deletes were the thing that were failing? And what if the deletes were failing because the NS in-memory store type doesn't actually handle everything that you would expect, that there's a, a leaky yeah, abstraction would, here uh, would, from what, how Cordy operates? That, right? well, yeah. I, I never would have. And I'm like, wow, yeah. if only I could go back and give this knowledge to myself, it might have solved the problem. <laughs> it might have all been different. <laughs> yes, if only. Interesting, interesting technique. Hmm. All right. Um, yeah, and this last little one is a real quick hit. Um, I think today was announced that uh, our friend and pal, Phil Schiller, is stepping down as the uh, boss of uh, marketing. He's still going to be in charge of something else. So Greg Wozniak, I think we've seen Greg Wozniak on the, uh, no, Greg Wozniak, uh, no relation. Um, start with a J. Josiak? Josiak? I don't know. Hmm. Uh, he's going to be taking over for, for Phil Schiller. Uh, Phil's decided he needs to, you know, refactor his life and scale down a bit. So um, after 33 years working for Apple, uh, he's stepping down. Um, interesting note is that I think going to one keynote that uh, Phil Schiller ran uh, during one of Jobs' absence, his first absence, I believe. Um, yeah, so stepping down. Moving on. All right, we're at the picks portion of our show. We got a, quite a slew of picks here. Mine are quick ones, but uh, I'll let Jaime go first with his pick, Orima. Yeah, mine is a uh, 9 to 5 Mac article that tells you how you can make your own nifty-looking Apple Store badge uh, image with your Memoji on it. You can make your own... Um I did that. Uh, Tim, I'd sent that to, to y'all in our, in our Slack channel. Uh, that mm-hmm. was kind of fun. Uh, I did end up oh, finding he didn't, he didn't send it to all y'all. Sorry. <laughs> Just y'all, he did not all y'all. all y'all. Not all y'all. There wasn't not enough, y'all there wasn't enough of y'all in there to be a, uh, an all y'all, all y'all sort of situation. Yeah. But he did send it to all y'all. And I didn't I'm get the it. One that, so I'm the only y'all. one that returned. Well, you know, it's funny because I made, I made your, oh, uh, maybe emoji. I did get it. You made a memoji <laughs> for me? I did for the, for the episode where we had all our memojis, right? So, so I didn't make one for myself. But I also on I wanted to point out that when I made Jaime's emoji, I made sure that he had his blue steel pose going, right? So Yeah, I, I, I don't understand how Craig Fiderigi has what he's doing here where one eyebrow is up and the other is not. I don't know if my iPhone 10 and its uh, face sensor is just not high tech enough to differentiate between two mm. individual eyebrows or something, but I could not get it to, to do really? that. So I wonder if that's huh. for, you know, either Photoshopped or uh, newer devices that have more, you know, fancy pants technology. But if you wink, if you wink at the phone, does it not lower your eyebrow? Wink it does, but it didn't want to differentiate between the two eyebrows, which was really weird. So when you wink, it brings the eyebrow down, right? Uh, what you, here's what you do is you send 
then you 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 take the one shot with you winking and the one shot with your eyes open. You send them to me, and I'll make them. I'll match them up in Photoshop. Yeah, that, that was sort of the <laughs> the workaround. Um, and in this particular uh, tool here is is actually um, a shortcut that you can add to your library. And and as a shadow pick, I discovered that. Um, I guess for security reasons, you can't add arbitrary shortcuts that you find on the streets or on the interwebs, as people may say, uh, unless you go in uh, to your short, your settings and say, yes, I would like to go ahead and allow this sort of thing. And then, But it ends up allowing it for everybody that's like nefarious, not just for this one particular person, right? Right. So so what I did as a, as a, as a good operational security citizen, I said, all right, what, what is the risk here? What am I willing to, uh, to wager? And I said, well, I can reduce my risk by enabling that setting, using this mm-hmm. one shortcut that one time, and then going back to the setting and saying, no, do not allow any shortcuts that are not already in the gallery. And uh, it, it worked like a champ. You know, you do what, what it says here. You, you create the uh, new note in the notes app, put in your, your Memoji sticker, and then you long press on the sticker, choose share, and then use the uh, Apple Store Memoji badge action shortcut. It works like a champ. You get to choose the, the color of uh apple logo that you want i went with a a green but they show other ones like uh purple and lavender and orange and i'm sure there's other colors there too so mark i just uploaded an image to the uh slack channel for you to look at oh that yeah Yeah. (laughs) and there's tammy sleeping sleeping in the back i don't think it's a particularly good likeness no it's just you know it's probably too young for you actually yeah for sure yeah (laughs) by about 40 years (laughs) yeah 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 but everybody else sent me their emojis and you see how i've got jaime's uh blue steel going there sort of thing because that's very important Mm -hmm. to him you still have the mustache jaime i do okay i do Mm -hmm. um i do wonder yeah what point in my life i would end up removing it because it it helps given Mm. that i my facial features make me appear younger than i actually am that's been true for (laughs) all of my life however there will eventually be a tipping point in which it's like Hmm. But at some point, you're going to want to look younger than you actually are. Exactly. So <laughs> removing the mustache will be one sort of trick I can do to to start appearing younger, even though I've always tried to appear older to compensate for <laughs> naturally looking younger than I am. Right, right. Interesting. All right. Well, i got a couple of quick picks here, uh, a few of them actually. Um, the first one is uh, our friend, the derived data, which I don't think we really need to delete that much anymore, but we used to have to always delete this um, in the past. And uh, so friend of the show, a friend of mine, uh, Pietro Ria, has uh, written a tutorial here on, or a little sort of little article, I guess, on how to delete the derived data with Automator. So you can turn it into something that you can use uh, Siri to, or uh, yeah, I guess uh, Siri Lee, or what do you call that other thing? Not Sherlock. Um, oh, Greg, help me out here. Um, maybe you can, you like can basically Spotlight, call maybe? it up. Spotlight, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, you can you can use Spotlight to call this up and have it delete stuff. For it. So he starts off by writing a simple little bash script, you know, using a command line ca- command to remove the derived data from your developer folder and then echo, you know, RIP derived data. Um, and then, you know, writes it into a bash script. And then, of course, you have to set permissions on that to be able to run it. And then you can feed that into the Automator app, which will then allow you to run a bit of Apple script to 
to you know call and run the command line um, command line uh, instruction, and uh, then you can turn that into an automator action. I believe it's called when step here. He's called in this case. He called it the de- derived data exterminator, um, and he saves it out as as an Xcode service. So so uh, it appears under the services menu in Xcode, but then you can use uh, Spotlight to to run it. So the only caveat about it, of course, is it's going to delete the entire derived data folder. So if you have you know t- many apps in there, it's going to blow them all away as well. Occasionally, you know, we, we try and build build apps, and uh, whether using CocoaPods or uh, various resources, you sometimes find that you know things don't properly compile. And so an, an, an old trick we've all been doing for the last few years is to delete the derived data. But doesn't the clean build folder now do that properly or better than it did before? You guys know? I still have to delete derived data on occasion. Well, there you go. So now you've got a script to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think it, it hypothetically does, and they claim it does, but I yeah. don't believe that it does. So it's always nice to know how to go, yeah. you know, throughout the trash. For me, I go to the, the preferences. I go to the locations. I look, click on the little arrow thing to go to derived data. And then I select the folders and drag them to the trash, you know. But yeah, this will this will just uh, this command will just empty the empty it in one fell swoop, and then yeah, you're off to building from scratch. My next pick is actually for Jaime, who's getting ready to be a hockey fan, um, and it kind of ties in with uh, with what's going on. Mark Andre Fleury and another Carol or Las Vegas, uh, what are they Knights? Las yeah, Vegas Golden Knights. Las, Golden Knights. Yes, Mark Stone and Mark Andre Fleury um, have had some fun with. Uh, an iPhone Pro and some hockey tape, of course. So they've taped the phone to their goalie post, goal post. They've taped the, the phone to their stick. Um, and uh, I've actually seen a couple of different variations of this commercial since I've been watching hockey the last couple of days. Uh, the, pl- the, the playoff run-up or the warm-up for the playoffs has started. They're doing like a shortened season. Um, but the two of them, yeah, had fun on a, on a hockey rink, you know, playing around with, with uh, spraying each other with, with shavings when you, when you do a fast stop, which is a way to annoy a goaltender, by the way. Honey, but um, yeah, just a cool little uh, shot on iPhone 11 Pro uh, commercial made with hockey tape. By one, one of them is Canadian. I don't know if Mark Stone is Canadian or not, but at least one is Canadian. But yeah, it's on the NHL website. I'll link to the link in the show notes. But you'll probably, if you're watching hockey, you will have seen that commercial a number of times or variations of it. Um, yeah, that another one is a, this is a podcast that I follow called the Journal of Musical Things. Um, Alan Cross does a, he's a it, fascinating. Um, it's sort of a radio show that he's been doing for many many years um it's got, and it's now turned into a podcast you can download the episodes and listen to it um he examines all kinds of different things about popular music and new music and you know punk and reggae and all kinds of stuff and he has these all these really interesting interviews with people he's a toronto-based um, radio journalist and uh he's dug up this uh this video from 17 years ago apple the app store in 2003 was that the year it was introduced i can't remember um yeah so uh, just interesting, fascinating watching this this video. You know, the old G4 um, Luxo lamp type uh, IMAX and the original EyeSight camera is featured in this in this video as well. And those um, little round speakers? Yeah, the little round speakers mm-hmm, and, the, mm-hmm. and the the, uh, the uh, iPod. I actually have one of those iPods with the, with the little LCD screen on it, the little black screen. Um, the iBook was there, and I, I think uh, I think they were showing it on a, on a, a G4 um, PowerBook in this, in this demo here. A friend of mine has one of these cameras, too. It's a FireWire camera, FireWire-based EyeSight camera. EyeSight 1, I guess it's called, right? All of our cameras are EyeSight now, the, uh, the ones we have in our displays and our Macs and stuff like that, but this is 
is the original. It's about, you know, like the, a roll of quarters kind of size, you know. Yeah, and we were just talking about how the the latest iMac got upgraded from a 720p yeah. to a 1080p and how much yeah. better that'll be. And this one, I mean, for its time, I'm sure it was good, but I'm like, oh my gosh, that yeah. is an awful, <laughs> that is an awful webcam by modern standards. Yeah, it was funny because, you know, the, um, the, uh, in the video, they do show at one point the person who's making the video uh, shows points the camera at himself and you so you see on the screen the, the output from into QuickTime of what he's recording and I'm pretty sure it's like 240 by 320 or something like that size it's pretty small you know by today's standards like postage stamp right so because when QuickTime first came out it was a really it was a really small format like almost like a, like a postage stamp kind of size by today's standards like if you looked at it on a, on a current screen yeah and then the last one is uh, this one actually goes out to friend of the show um, Sean Marston he's been on my case for many many moons about the fact that I don't put chapters into the podcast and uh, my reasoning for that was it was the tool that we use with our web hosts is is not most intuitive and it's actually still in beta uh, for putting markers in but uh, I discovered that um, Marco Armit uh, many years ago created back in 2017 created an app called forecast which allows you to take your output from your from logic Pro or whatever it is you're mixing your show, we happen to make it in Logic Pro as a WAV file. And then in the Logic Pro uh, project, you can actually go through and there's, there's a spot at the top where you can put markers, right? And so what I do is I mix the whole show down and when I'm just about ready to, to produce it and push it out the door kind of thing, I go back through and listen to it and put markers into the show. So for the last two episodes, I've used this tool called Forecast by Marco Armit, uh, which is free, um, to encode the, uh, the markers into the MP3 when I when I export it through this tool, and I could also I also do include artwork in the in the um, in the app. Our, our current host they embed that into the feed for me, so I don't have to worry about that as well. But so if you ever downloaded the episode, you would actually get you know the whatever artwork I put into it and these markers for for easy listening. So and we probably would use this more uh, more more appropriately on Spotcast uh, Jaime because we could uh, we could put um, markers in to sort of say this is when we're talking about the show because we often say to people on the show will say skip ahead the next 15 minutes when we talk about you know the latest version of whatever movie we're talking about um we can use this tool to to give people a chance to skip to the after show if they like you know like if or skip spoilers in, in in that case in the case of spot yeah in where, case, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah yeah i've seen people do sort of interesting things i think uh i checked out our sort of chapters and ours are ours are pretty good and i think the reason for that is um we don't have sort of sponsor cuts so i've noticed this sort mm-hmm. of interesting thing that people will do where they'll you know say oh the next section you know in the chapter is going to be we're talking about this thing that that comes after the sponsor cut it's like well no we still get like the last five seconds of the sponsor cut um so so for us we could if we were mean people and i'm not saying we were we could say okay yeah. tap here to avoid the spoilers and then they come in is like and that was the person who was the killer you know it's like just hurting people <laughs> just being mean about it but oh. uh, but we use it we use our power for good here um and it's we also do. kind of nice it gets me an opportunity to start looking like hey how long did we talk about this particular topic because i don't really yeah, have an idea when i'm listening that, to eh? the show yeah yeah it's funny when i when i'm when I'm editing, you know, like last, like it's funny because sometimes in the fall, in in the ramp up, we talk we talk quite a bit a long while about certain things, and some like I think last week we had a long talk in in the picks, longer than any section of the show. In fact, I probably could go look at the the chapter markers right now to, to know for sure. But yeah, it's it's interesting to see when we talk about something for five 
five minutes and sometimes we talk, you know, for 10 minutes or whatever, right? So, yeah, interesting stuff. So it's it's interesting too, but it's handy for, for if you want to go back to, like I found, you know, I haven't really found a reason to use it yet, but if we had said something about a particular topic in the show and we wanted to reference somebody to it, we could send them a link to the marker, right? And then they could jump right to that part. Or, or if you were trying, trying to go back and research. I can tell you that when I do our best of shows, which I've done a few times, um, it's very difficult to pick, you know, to, to remember what show do we say that on and was that a good piece and, you know, like you want to sort of put together a best of. Having markers and everything would, would make it a lot easier to do that, right? So there you go. Oh, I, do we have a shadow pick? Shadow pick? No. No, that was just I me just moving saw. my cursor. <laughs> <laughs> Got excited. I saw some some action. That's what Greg does. He usually waits till, till I'm just about finished my pick and then he starts typing something in. All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they find you? I'm on Twitter. It's at Dev with the Hair. All right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you? Mark R at Smapsoft.com. All right. And as usual, my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. So until next time, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. So I was trio programming with a couple of engineers who I think are, neither one's older than 23. <laughs> and uh, there was a variable called handle. And one of them, handle. Saw, handle. Yeah. Yeah. One of them mm-hmm. said, oh, is this, a, is this a closure? And I said, no, 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 it's it's just a string. You know, it's it's just a, you know, it's a handle like you grab on as something to, to recognize. It's like, you know, it's like yeah. on your CB radio, you know, breaker one nine, it's your handle. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and they're like, what is Silence. that? Yeah. They had no, they had never heard of a CB radio. <laughs> really? Really? Or breaker wow. one nine, yeah, yeah, breaker breaker, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, so they don't they don't know that your handle when when you signed up for uh, um, eWorld or CompuServe, you you picked a handle, right? Now they just know it as a username. I guess I should have said ham radio. Handle was more of a ham radio thing originally, right? Yeah, but uh, yeah. they they know that even less than CQ. CQ, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Crazy kids, those crazy kids. Speaking of crazy kids, kids today, I'll tell you. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, um, barely. barely. <laughs> it, it's it's of the the right overlap with me. Um, okay, I would okay. have thought of handle and username being roughly analogous. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Your your Skyfox on the road is how I think of you know CB radio type thing, and I guess ham radio it might apply to. 
I think it I think it came from ham radio or maybe even older than ham radio, maybe like old like military radio. I don't know. Well when Carol was a kid, you used to call phone numbers by by the name. Like she was Beacon three two one or something like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And the beacon was the letters of the out the letters that corresponded to the rotary dial, right? Was your phone number. So they would give you a word that sounded like, you know, those letters somehow. Back when there were like twelve phones in the world. In the olden times. Oh no, it is it is a uh, CB radio thing. So okay, yeah, not a ham radio thing. Well, maybe it's also ham radio, but CB okay, radio is, ham radio is the same thing, isn't it? Well, CB radio I think of as in the car, whereas a ham yeah, radio truck, is more yeah. like a or in a truck. Yeah, whereas a ham radio would be in your yeah, basement. like a desktop radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they still use those kind of radios in 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 ship or fishing and stuff like that, don't they? Like the the boats use them radios. Probably, like yeah. Have, and yeah. and you know, trucks. Maybe we were talking about this in the call. Trucks probably still have them because you want kind of a public broadcasting radio for a truck. Okay, according to Quora, which it's on the internet, so it must be true. It must be true. Uh, what is the origin of the term handle in CB radio communication? The answer is given by Douglas Kearns. Uh, the term handle is an old slang term for name that goes back to the cowboys of the Old West. Telegraphers, or telegraphers, I don't know how that's pronounced. Pick, telegraphers, yeah. Picked it up, and the ham radio operators got it from them. CB operators copied the hams. For hams, it can be either the operator's first name name or a nickname such as Sparks or Rusty. CBers often use an alias such as Dirty Dog or the Blue Modulator. I got a big quilt behind me because I got the server running behind me because I had to resurrect. uh, So so I don't know if you saw on Twitter, but um, my Drobo crashed a couple of weeks ago. Like we um, had a couple of brownouts or blackouts, I guess like, you know, 20 minute, 40 minute sort of power outages. And um, I didn't think much about it. And, you know, I I remember having to go and like kick a couple of the Mac minis into starting up again, which I thought was odd because I got them set to automatically start up. And but I didn't realize, I guess, in, in changing the UPS batteries a few years ago somehow the drobo got unplugged from the protected um power source to just a plain old you know black, real you know plug right in the wall and not a wall but like a like a surge protector or whatever but um so you know and hard drives generally don't like it when you shock them by turning them off all of a sudden especially if they're in the middle of a write or something like that and um yeah the the uh the drobo which is like it's it basically it's it thinks it's a 17 terabyte device but it's actually about four and a half terabytes right and um so i had to resurrect it so i had to go and i couldn't i can't run disc warrior is my tool to go through for that for that kind of thing on old hfs volumes and um it, it's a miracle worker in terms of when your when your catalog gets crashed on, on your drive right and um so i tried to run it on this thing but but it kept crashing on the actual server that it, it was on the mac mini server right so i pulled it pulled it over to another machine and then hooked it up and got it finally got it to mount but i can't get it to recover like i can't get it to repair the 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 volume because probably because it's it, the drobo is too big and complicated or whatever but so i'm currently in the process of restoring uh two and a half terabytes of data right from the drobo which has been rescued but not recovered to um to another to another volume another drive i bought right and it's taken like to do 900 gig- gigabytes of data took 36 hours to restore and i'm in the second half of the restore now where i'm restoring the backups that were on there so yeah, so I've got a, got a quilt behind me because if I open the the server cabinet, you'd hear the Xserve whining behind me, right? So, yeah, funny thing. I haven't used Xserve in like a couple of years, but but I you know I needed an older OS and I needed a you know something with a bit of horsepower to be able to do this. So lots of fun, fun with data.
It's over. For now. Until <laughs> till next time. Until next time. Until tomorrow when we, when we start talking about the new Star Trek show. That's right. Star Trek Lower Decks, the animated series that premieres. Yeah. Premieres tomorrow. Half hour show. Is it so. pod- podcast worthy though, right? I think we can, we can give it a try and we'll, we'll see. Forgot to mention last episode. Yeah, I guess it would have been last episode that I actually um, gave a talk at a virtual meetup on uh, July 20th. Oh, yeah? that, was, that was the Mobile Knots in Nottingham, United Kingdom. Oh, really? How'd they go? Yeah, oh. it went pretty well. It's, it's a talk I've given before. It's the designers plus developers equals best friend forever, which I gave at uh, <laughs> Iowa Dev UK in uh, Aberystwyth, yeah. Wales. And uh, oh. this was sort of nice. So so a uh, friend of the show, Rob Whitaker, reached out and asked, like, hey, oh, you know, he's, he's starting up this uh, this meetup group over in his neck of the woods in Nottingham, and uh, he's looking for folks to to sort of kick things off. And, you know, we have a, a, a good, friendly relationship, and I guess he must have enjoyed the, the talk that I gave. So I got a chance to do that. It went pretty well. It's nice and fun and good opportunity to to meet people uh, virtually and, and see some folks that I had, had seen at the conferences in the, in the UK. Right. That's cool. Yeah, it was uh, interesting because I think for them, it was a, a nighttime meetup. It was like 7 or 8 p.m. in the evening. Right. And for me, it was like 10 in the morning. It was first thing in the morning. Yeah, it was like just before yeah. just before lunch, I think. Yeah, I used to have meetings with a team in the UK and it was always, well, we'd have to be there like 7 in the morning to, for them to be there at a reasonable time. Wow, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting the the Slack channel we have chat we have now because I, I often talk to Nigel and I think he's in um, he's in England, right? So I think it's the early in the morning and late late in the evening for me when we're chatting. Mm. Yeah. And I think Brandon is in the Australia. Yeah, so there's there's definitely a, a nice thing to have the the asynchronous sort of chat going on. So sometimes I'll yeah. I'll wake up and see what's what's been occurring. Are people talking about? Yeah, and also the the idea of the intros was yeah, that was a great. Helpful. Yeah. yeah. Get a sense of where people are coming from. Yep. Mark, I had forgotten that you, I think that was the year of WWDC that we joked about you having like a, like a food cart or something and then giving out t-shirts <laughs> or something. And, and I think you really did give out some t-shirts. Yeah. You gave Dan one, right? Uh, I gave Dan one. Mm-hmm. I gave a, a few of them out actually when I, in t- I think it was 2018, two years ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I gave out probably four or five of them. Yeah. I think you and you and Greg had a little mini meetup, right? Yes. Right. Yes. I'm trying to remember the details of that. Yeah, I think we just, I sort of made an announcement about it and yeah. said you guys would be there some central area over by the right, yeah, Altconf, we, right? We were in the uh, the lobby of the hotel next door. Yeah. Yeah, Altconf, yeah. Yep. I think, is that where you and I ran into, um, yeah, it was a gentleman we met. We met, um, I met a couple of times, like this year when I was at WWC, I met him a couple of times. Well, he's looking that up. It was, so it was apparently 2014 360 IDEV where you and I met in person, Mark. Right. And yep. that means yep. 2013 for you and I, Tim. Interesting. That was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. That is correct, sir. Yeah, I, I did uh, I did just register for this year's 360. I honestly had yeah. kind of forgotten because, you know, time has no meaning <laughs> in the pandemic at the moment. So I hadn't realized how far into the year we'd gotten and uh, haven't missed it yet. It looks like it's coming up on the 16th, right, of August? 16th or the mm. 19th or 18th? And it was just coincidental that I saw that uh, one of my coworkers who's, who's on the iOS team here is giving a talk. Oh wait! If they're giving a talk, that means it hasn't happened yet. Which means 360. I still have time to register and and check out the sessions and stuff. And I don't know. You guys actually had an iOS team there. It's how big is the development team that you got? Oh, just dev. Good question. Because I don't know yeah. the breakout of engineering, but I think mm-hmm. our part of the organization is like 175 plus. So oh, wow, figure a, a full up Android, full up iOS team. 
two full of uh, web teams and, you know, then you had other folks, you uh, know, customer support and implementation and product management and design. So it gets there, uh, no, it gets there pretty soon. Sorry, but what do you guys do again? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, to- it's totally fine because uh, yeah, yeah, I-, I liken it as one of the, the best kept secrets in the technology world, just like, because we, we, we're the behind the scenes folks, right? Making the yep. tools and everybody else's brand is sort of up front and getting the glory, uh, which is fine because it's what yeah, we do, we're, right? We, we're kind of like that too, actually. Yeah. 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 So, so we're yeah. Jack Henry as a whole is um, a, a financial services technology company, right? And that mm-hmm. can mean a lot of things. Um, our particular organization is banking as a service. So you want to start, you know, community bank or credit union. Uh, local to your area, right? Like if you said, I want to create the San, the you know Freedom San Jose Credit Union. That's cool. You you know don't have the ability to build everything that goes into that. You want to focus on just the the banky bank financial parts of that. Cool. Well, we can handle that. We've got you know white label software as a service that that gives you that that full banking as a service, right? And uh, beyond sort of retail, online, and, and mobile banking. Uh, We've also got the the back office side of, you know, what does it mean to have uh, customer support agents, you know, uh, fixing issues where people had, uh, I think, you know, I think this other company has, uh, you know, double charged me for something or um, I forgot my password. I need to reset my password. And then on top of that, we're opening up all the APIs that power that sort of stuff. So you can build your own sort of uh, interesting integrations. And that's where my role comes in as developer advocate, helping folks to understand what's possible with our APIs and technologies that we offer. And then also, I think very critically, getting that sort of information and feedback back to our product and engineering teams to help them understand what are the, the good points and what are the, the rough points? What do we need to be better at? Yeah. So 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 our org, I mentioned, was something like 175 plus, but the company as a whole um, is like 6,000 plus, I think, across the wow. country. So yeah, uh, fairly large. And, and we I think we were like number, like second best place to work in tech or something uh, uh, not too long ago and then still top 10 in the most recent one, I think. And it's weird because it's it's not like, you know, Google or Facebook or Microsoft or Apple or like there isn't like a consumer relationship out there. And there isn't even um, as direct of a relationship that somebody like a, like a Stripe might have, right? Where they will get a fair amount of recognition. With us, it's more like, well... Uh, until fairly recently, developers kind of weren't really the market. The market was banks, bankers, uh, but now it's increasingly fintech vendors and um, and developers. It's pretty neat. Nice. Yeah. So it was uh, Kim Elbergers who we met at the lobby of the hotel next door to WWC. Oh, from from Seattle. Yeah. 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 Oh, you know him too. Mm-hmm. He goes to the well wow. <laughs> back when we could. You know, goes to the Seattle Xcoders meetup. So I've definitely met met cool. Kim before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's one of the he's one of the few people who's met the three of us. Oh, really? Oh, Greg, interesting. Right? Yeah. Oh. Well, very few, very few people have actually seen us all three in the flesh. Not at the same time, though. Admittedly. Right. <laughs> uh, there, there's, there's the flaw, right? You, yeah. Getting collecting everybody together, I think, is is the best way to to prove that we are, in fact, all individuals. Yeah. I'm not an animal. Start playing it like that. Have you seen that that TV show to tell the truth? They get yeah. three three people up there. My and, name is Mark Rubin. Right, right. And My name is Mark Rubin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your turn, Hi, 
me. My name is Mark Rubin, right? And I'm like, you know, a cheese sculptor or something, right? Is is usually they've gone with some really. And I sculpt of cheese. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I am Spartacus. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm Spartacus. You can't be Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. Well, the backup's going. Two hours. I've only recovered 32 gigabytes. Only 600 more to go. (laughs) That is one of the interesting challenges with so much data that we have that we can, you know, store. But restoring that quantity of data just gets more and more difficult. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I bought an 8 terabyte drive the other day for 200 bucks, right? So I'm trying to recover data on on a drive system, this Drobo thing I've had for, I don't know, must be 10 years at least or more. No, yeah, probably ten years. Um, you know, that's got like it's got two, three, two terabyte drives and one one terabyte drive, and they kind of stripe together. It uses this robotic RAID system thing where I can just randomly put one drive in, like a larger drive. So I'm like thinking about this, like I'm restoring to this system that is ten years old, runs on old, you know, hard drive mechanisms, and it's I think it's USB one, maybe USB two, right? <laughs> Mine just got FireWire on it, so I'm currently got FireWire plugged into the back of. The, the excerpt but yeah like what am i doing <laughs> throw it away well no but i gotta get the data off first then, oh, then I can, yeah so so I'm, I'm i've actually i've gotten to the point where i can't the i've gotten like apple's tools won't touch it they're like they're like erase it back it up and erase it and um at least disk warrior will will get it mounted onto my desktop so that i can actually read the data the data is still there it's just you know the the catalog has been crashed right so i mean that the the solution is to wipe the drive and and you know Put put the restored back data back in, but when I can buy an eight terabyte drive for two for two hundred bucks, I mean, like that sounds like a cheaper solution, right? In the long run, in terms of man hours, right? And this is the stuff I'm thinking, like, oh, it's on a it's on a safe system, doesn't really need to be, it is backed up, but it doesn't need to be, you know, I don't need it, I don't need access to it right away, right? So, but it's like you know, family photos and videos and you know stuff that that I don't want to carry on my iCloud account and that kind of stuff, right? But I still like would like to have access to it. What are you gonna do? Maybe I'll use all those DVDs that I've got built up and I've got stacks of you know fresh DVDs back from the days when we used to write DVDs right DVDRs yeah yeah maybe I'll just write to write write this data down still have those a, and a writer somewhere yeah I, well I've got the MacBook Air um, SuperDrive right which is the oh I've got, yeah I've got one of those can you can yeah. those those could write I don't even I don't think I ever wrote to, to <laughs> I don't think I ever wrote to one I mean I I, yeah, I had to buy D, one yeah. for my MacBook Pro when I you know well once my first MacBook Pro that didn't have a CD I had to buy what yeah. it is you needed. At the time, you needed a CD drive. Yeah, yeah. But I, didn't, I didn't know you could write to them. Yeah, I never had to. Yeah, it came. I think it came. This particular writer came out when the first when the first MacBook Air came out. It didn't. Mm-hmm. All it has was one USB port, right? Um, right. And right. and then they had that thing where you could share the D. Like my all my i In fact, my iMac upstairs doesn't have it. Doesn't have a media drive either mm-hmm. anymore. I have a bunch of old Mac, uh, iMacs around here too that have you know they all have the drives in them. But yeah, it's funny. I I, I think about it when I watch um, old episodes. of Star Trek, they've got these little, you know, it looks like the size of a post-it note that they've got that Spock keeps his data on, right? So obviously that, you know, doesn't scale because now that now everything would be up in the into interweb somewhere, you know, the Galactic Encyclopedia like Galactica or something, you know. But if would, you needed to carry around your data, you need yeah. a form factor that's big enough that you can hold it without losing it. Mm, that's true. That's true. Which brings us to Jaime's Bit Bitcoin wallet, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have one, but I, I sure wish I did so circle. I could sit here, you know, reading out 
and the 64 characters that represent yeah. the wallet just very slowly. So it's funny, I go to the maker fairs every now and then, and, and uh, they have those. Well, when we used to be able to go out and, and gather in groups, uh, they had these things called maker fairs. And um, they had, for one year, they had like all these Arduino bit, Bitcoin wallets. So you could have your Bitcoin on something you could carry around with you, right? Mm-hmm. Which doesn't that defeat the whole point of a federated ledger? Is no, that the whole idea? no, the, the whole point of the, of the federated oh, ledger is to avoid the government. Oh, is that what it's about? Yeah. Mm. It ends up being distributed trust and, and having offline what they call cold wallets, as I understand, is, is actually a pretty good practice because you, if you can't reach it, you can't hack it, right? You know, granted. Mm-hmm. You oh, know, I see. The attack could be coming right. from inside your house, you know, if, you're, if your brother or sister is trying to, to get into your wallet, that's a, a different, you know, threat that you'd have to model than uh, a random hacker on the internet. Um, yeah, it's, well, there's a story of that dude that lost his his, his uh, laptop and had his key on it or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, and it is interesting to think like how much money uh, would you have to have in the wallet in order to, for it to actually be kind of worth it to spend a lot of you know U.S. dollars to to try cracking into your old machine. You know, assuming you had it and like you forgot the password or something. Um, yeah, it's uh, security's hard. Um, as the as the the fine folks at Twitter found out. You see that uh, 17 year old hacker and and really it wasn't even like wow like look how brilliant this was this was straight up social engineering attack of yeah let me convince somebody who has access that i am somebody who i am not and right. uh, fishing right? Yeah, yeah and then they give me enough access and then i sort of find my way over to a pretty scarily powerful tool that um you know thankfully they didn't uh, do more damage beyond the 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 financial fraud well who was it what was it story that was a couple of months like last month where all of a sudden Apple and and uh, Bill Gates and all that kind of stuff were saying I'm donating all this money and you should this is the one too. this is like, this is the Twitter oh. hack oh was that was it it was a 17 year old kid yeah where there was a, a uh-huh. you know a, a support tool as I understand a, a support tool that's like hey I'm having issues with etc and need to move legitimate reasons to move the um, the reset your password email to some other location right or um you know in some cases it's like well you know it looks like this really cool twitter handle speaking of handles um seems like this really cool twitter handle is you know abandoned can i have that because that's a pretty valuable looking name and uh, these these folks were were looking to to get access to that sort of thing um it sounds like there's a, a a market for very very short handles you know three characters two character single character handles you know, very early folks that would have had those. So those are valuable. But then uh, I guess once they figured they were there, it's like, oh, well, we've got Bitcoin wallets. Hey, why don't we just scam everybody? And look, I mean, if it's coming from a verified account, like, you know, Apple's account and Elon Musk's account and Bill Gates, it, it'll look more legit, right? Than, than coming from random Twitter user. And uh, again, it was just straight up social engineering. It wasn't, it wasn't a hack of their API. It wasn't a, a you know, breaking encryption. It was convincing somebody over the phone that I am somebody else, which which sort of boggles the mind because I'd, I'd seen one article saying like, oh, see, well, you know, traditionally, you know, you could do this thing sort of face to face and then it wouldn't have been possible in, in pre-COVID. I'm like, uh, no, we had normal phone calls. And by the way, <laughs> as much as I was complaining about, you know, the eyesight cameras, you could have gone on a Zoom call. We have multiple video chat technologies that could have verified, is this person who they really say they are right um, yeah, and yeah. so i think this is just 
past, um, you know, lacks security protocols, which is why I think everybody should probably be getting some, uh, some security training sort of across the industry of like, by the way, here's an example, stay cold, stay frosty, make sure you remember your training of, you know, verify who people are through other means and don't just give out, uh, vital information or vital access, uh, when you haven't confirmed the identity. Wow. Are they playing football yet? Oh, no, no, no. No, who knows, man? Like, uh, baseball, as an example, and it is by far, of the team sports, like, the most socially distanced by by default, just the mechanics of the sport. The Florida Marlins currently lead the NL East. They have played, like, five games. The rest of the the division has played 12. How how does that... five games because of COVID? Yeah, because they they had, like, 16 to 20 players come down with COVID so they quarantined for a week so they're seven games behind everybody else it's nutty they came I, down with COVID like 16 players something like that it was a large percentage like wow yeah yeah so That's so who crazy. knows what's going to end up happening with the, with the NFL Carol was saying that the baseball players were been told not to chew tobacco and stuff like that on the bench and stuff oh because it generates a lot of saliva yeah, yeah. So, so, spitting yeah. it out everywhere I guess that makes yeah. sense yeah. Yeah. So they're yeah. chewing gum and biting their nails and mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's crazy yeah yeah let's see it's very strange watching hockey with with uh, no it, and they started piping in the audience sounds because apparently you could hear the the players swearing at each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the things I've seen in baseball are uh, I think Fox's broadcasts, if I'm not mistaken, are the ones that put in the digital fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah using Microsoft data, Teams yeah. um, together technology. I forget what they call it, where it's supposed to look like you're sitting in an, an auditorium. Oh, they actually have like 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 uh, avatars, like there? C- like CG. CGI'd fans, I think. I've, I, I'm oh, sort of vaguely remembering okay. the the in stadium for the uh, T-Mobile Park at, uh, yeah. for the Seattle Mariners. You can buy a thirty dollar cardboard stand that they go put up in the stands for you. <laughs> so people have like to, you know they've they'll seat them together if you buy them together. So if you wanted to pretend that you and your yeah. family were there, and people have put like their wow. dogs. As long as it's not a commercial <laughs> endeavor, that like you can't you know have your yeah. your uh, your company's name or anything. But you could you could put other things on there and for 30 bucks you can you can be there virtually yeah. But yeah, you're right, Tim. It, it's it's a little weird because I've seen the some of the NBA games. They're they're there in their bubble in uh, in Florida, and I think they were on Disney's property, if I'm not mistaken. And it's so weird because it's it's very clearly not a normal place. Like it's it's lit differently that it looks like some cheap knockoff league, and it doesn't look like the actual <laughs> league that you're watching. Yeah, yeah. Such times we live in. Craziness. All right. Well, I'm gonna pack it in. Okay. Sounds, sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. okay. All right. All right. Later. Bye. Bye.